The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, but be honest, that's why you listen, isn't it? As the penis becomes erect. Monday, the 23rd of May 2016. It's time for transformations. A time for desire. This desire to experience the world from something else's perspective. Some of these transformations are graphic. I'm Tom, and this is our penis today. (laughs) And some are just too much for Nicholas Fryer. Put me right off my chicken and lettuce sandwich, I can tell you. This is the 9pm Detachable Foreskin Monologue. (laughs) It is. It's week three, week three, week three. <laughs> yes, week three of an eight-week federal election campaign here in Australia. Everybody seems to have an election podcast at the moment. So I am not going to talk about the election. But I was amused this morning when I put on the radio to hear the words Independent Commission Against Corruption and Arthur Sinodinus. I thought, oh, well, time to put the kettle on. And then I saw a headline, Australian Election 2016, Bill Shorten's poll standing at a 12-month high. That was in the Guardian's Politics Live column, which is uh, worth doing. That's uh, their live blog. Spend some time with it during the course of the the day. Now, as I say, I'm not going to talk about the election, but obviously both Turnbull and Shorten are touring Australia right now and making sure everyone gets a good look at their pork. And a lot of that seems to involve interacting with young children. Now, if mothers saw this behaviour from any middle-aged man apart from a campaigning politician, they'd call the police. And speaking of calling the police, where's the Attorney General? Now, I won't talk about the election, obviously, but uh, I think it was Friday morning I woke up with that wonderful news that the Australian Federal Police had raided uh, officers connected with the Labor Party uh, to investigate a leak of information from NBN Co., the company running Australia's National Broadcast uh, National Broadcasting Network, National Broadband Network. And although that's nothing to do with the election, obviously, that's... <laughs> Ah, timing. What a morning to be out of gin that was. I thought, this is, this is really going to kick off. And then, of course, everybody with their fact-free feel opinions and conspiracy theories. People, the world really isn't that complicated. I, I chose not to watch any of the Australian Federal Police or Labor press conferences during the course of the morning. I relied upon you to misinterpret them on my behalf and, oh, my God, were they misinterpreted on my behalf. Yes, I demand more uninformed speculation. The question does remain, though, given that the Australian Federal Police do report up the chain uh, eventually to the Attorney-General, the Honourable Senator, what's his name, George Sopity Ankle uh, Brandis QC. (laughs) 
Actually, I think I know where the Attorney General is. This is an election campaign. He'll be trussed up in a ball gag somewhere so he doesn't have to explain anything. Keep him well out of the way. Um, He's an accident waiting to happen, is Brandis. Now, I'm not going to talk about the uh, election campaign, obviously, but I did notice some of the people on the left... Uh, just referring to any commentator on the right, brackets, and you know how much I hate this one-dimensional left-right kind of scale because it really is a couple of centuries out of date, but we'll stay with it for a, a while, end brackets, calling those on the right RWNJ for right-wing nut job. And I thought that's basically the same as calling someone an SJW for social justice warrior, isn't it? It's it's just dumbass name calling. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to talk about the election campaign, obviously, but I tell you what, with all of the journalists travelling with the Prime Minister and with the Leader of the Opposition in their tour buses and tweeting live, it's just the purest crack for political junkies. And... Where did it happen? Thursday, I think it was, uh, when the convoy of the leader of the opposition, Burnt Fagin, was going through the Hunter Valley and uh, some people pulled out to pass it or something, but there was a head-on collision, a crash, and uh, we had pictures in the media of uh, uh, Burnt Fagin comforting one of the the people uh, involved in that crash. I thought, oh, yeah, that's the kind of pictures you want, isn't it? The caring, sharing human side. I thought that's going to take some beating. You know, you really do need to pull a rabbit out of the hat for that. Or as uh, the phrase goes, throw a dead cat on the table. Just as an aside, that road accident was at Tester's Hollow. It sounds like the place you get swabbed for chlamydia, isn't it? It's just, uh, bend over, please. I'm just going to put the swab through your Tester's Hollow. Um, <laughs> oh dear. One thing I'm really sick of in this campaign, not that I'm going to talk about the election campaign, of course, is that this probably will be the first election in a while that won't be heralded as the first social media election. God, did we get sick of that in the last few years? No, this will be the first crap meme election. There's actually adults being paid to create poorly designed shitty little graphics as if they're going to actually change voters' minds. Uh, Well, I've always voted liberal like my parents, but uh, today I saw an animated gif with Turnbull's head grafted onto a cow, so I'm voting Labour from now on, you people. Fucking idiots. Speaking of fucking idiots, um, not that I'm going to talk about the election campaign, obviously, but on the 16th there was a a tweet from news.com.au that said, It can be revealed that Mr Turnbull dresses himself and picks his own ties each day. My God, I was undecided until now, but that's decided it for me. Turnbull clearly has what it takes to lead the nation. Mm. Yeah, I know. Look, I've got an answer to this. We'll just push everything off a cliff and into the sea. Everything. All of it. All of it. Hello, I'm Stilgerian. Welcome to The Edict. (laughs) 
One of the uh, features of the current Australian political landscape is that we have a Minister for the Environment called Greg Hunt, whose nickname is Rhymes With, for obvious reasons. And I note with interest that there is a similarly named politician in the United Kingdom, one Jeremy Richard Strangeham Hunt. Strangeham. Strangeham. I bet it's pronounced Strangeham. Jeremy Richard Strangeham Hunt. Born the 1st of November 1966 as a British Conservative Party politician. He's currently Secretary of State for Health and the Member of Parliament for South West Surrey, wherever the fuck that is. Now, not only does uh, he have the ability to be referred to by the nickname Rhymes With, it seems that some radio and television presenters in the United Kingdom stumble upon this very fact in live broadcasts. Here's a montage thereof. Well, first up after the news, we're going to be talking to Jeremy Hunt, the Culture Secretary, about... And the Health Secretary, Jeremy, Cunt, Jeremy Hunt, is also expected to apologise. Circumstances changed, Mr Hunt. Mr Hunt had to rapidly... The Health Secretary, Jeremy, Cunt, Q, uh, Jeremy Hunt... The Health Secretary, Jeremy Cunt, Hunt, says he's... The Health Secretary, Jeremy Cunt, uh, Hunt, according to the... The Health Secretary, Jeremy Cunt, has said the NHS front... And that's given us Jeremy <laughs> Hunt looking after the health service. Jer- uh, J- Jeremy Cunt, the... The hunt. <laughs> uh, uh, Jeremy, I'm not going to pronounce his surname because I might mispronounce it deliberately. <laughs> yes, a fan there of Jeremy Hunt there at the end, wanting to get everything absolutely perfect. On a completely unrelated matter, there's another gentleman by the name of Paul Graham, who apparently is some sort of uh, person who works in startup land. And I I was drawn to one of his tweets, or a couple of his tweets, uh, about a week ago. Paul Graham said, I will go out on a limb and say Austin, in Texas, has zero chance of being a serious startup hub without Uber and Lyft. Brackets, I am an investor in neither. (laughs) Another day, all hail the worshippers of Uber and Lyft. I thought, that is... That is just hilarious stuff. These are the the kind of benchmarks that are, that are used in startup land. And then his next tweet from this Paul Graham chap was, my first reaction to the idea of visiting Austin is, how would I get around? Wow. Imagine being so deep in your microculture bubble that you can't even imagine life without certain smartphone apps. Imagine having memory loss so bad that you can't even remember how you lived your own life just seven years ago. Imagine being so narcissistic that your reaction to the joy of visiting another city is to moan about personal inconvenience. Imagine being so entitled that you can't even conceive that you don't get everything you want by pressing a button. Imagine actually being this guy and despair. Now, I uh, 
basically tweeted that little rant at him. And then someone told me he's not seeing it. He's blocked you another time. <laughs> yeah. Poor little Paul Graham. He's put on his pebble-sensitive sunglasses so he doesn't have to see anything bad. Uh, the amount by which I'm heartbroken that Paul Graham blocked me, well, how big is an electron? Maybe half that. I also noted that I wasn't the only one who'd had a go at him about being disconnected from reality. His, his subsequent tweet, one or two down the line, was, it's okay to be disconnected from, quote, reality, unquote, if it's because you're on a vector that leads somewhere better, brackets, but be prepared for headwinds. <laughs> Where do I start? Uh, I, I do like the scare quotes around reality because what's curious about that response is that it assumes me and other critics were saying it's not real inside the bubble. No, 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 it's, it's real all right. Inside the bubble, outside the bubble, it's all part of reality. You know, reality includes a lot of different worldviews, including the startup land reality of working hard to make the next billion-dollar global company reality. Uh, there's the venture capital reality. There's the fighting to regain the leadership of your political party, even though they just voted you out because you're a useless reality. Not that I'm talking about the election, obviously. There's the living in a comfortable suburban house, working at the insurance company that you hate because you're paying private school fees for three kids and your once-loving wife now despises you reality. There's the struggling single mother of three kids who can't pay the rent prices now that they've skyrocketed reality. There's the melon fetishist furry reality. Reality is really just a more generalised case of Rule 34 of the internet. No, all that's fine. There are many different realities. I could go all philosophical now and ponder whether we all have our own individual realities, but that could take some time. So I'll leave that uh, as a question for you to look at in your own time. The other thing about that quote, it's okay to be disconnected from reality if it's because you're on a vector, on a vector, what a wanker, that leads somewhere better. It, this pseudo profound bullshit, isn't it? It's just assuming that well, where I'm going is somewhere better, so that's okay. Another bit of narcissistic bullshit. And then after all of that, Twitter said, Oh, do you want to follow Paul Graham? I thought, nah, fuck that Twitter. I've got a life to lead. Honestly, some people are such huge assholes that they need another smaller asshole to deal with the shit from the first asshole. At least I know that I'm an asshole. Admitting the problem is the first step. Admitting mistakes is also an important step. And at this point, I need to admit a mistake. In the last episode of this podcast, I said that there had not been any new one-off contributions since the previous episode, and that was a lie. So, Peter Lawler, my deepest and most grovelling apologies. You did make a most generous one-off contribution, as you have in the past a number of times before. I lick your toes in thanks. Thank you, Peter Lawler. Your toes are very special. Yes, this podcast 
does survive because of you, dear listeners, and your subscriptions and one-off contributions. I shan't make a big deal about that just now because there's some new things coming up, but I will mention what's happening in the next two episodes. Please put in your diary the date Saturday, the 4th of June, because on that afternoon... We will be recording the 9pm Edict Public House Forum number three. Probably in Sydney's Inner West. I've got to line up the uh, the venue formally. But uh, as before, we'll be recording at two o'clock on the Saturday afternoon. That's the 4th of June. Listen out for announcements or watch out for tweets on that. And then there'll be another episode around about the 21st of June when the solstice is. Look out for that one. <coughs> Elephant stamp time! <coughs> Elephant stamp time! Each episode of this podcast, or most of them anyway, I give out elephant stamps of approval to people who have been exceptional in the category of thinking. And I have one to give out this time to United Airlines. The other day I saw a tweet from Sarah Jiong, who is a contributing editor of Motherboard at Vice. She writes about some of the sorts of things that I sometimes write about. And she noticed that uh, one of the security questions on the United Airlines website was one of the worst kind of security questions she'd ever seen. They were her words. This was the question. Who is your favourite artist? Georges Seurat, Georgia O'Keeffe, Gustav Klimt, Henri Matisse, Ibrahim El Salahi, Jackson Pollock, and there were presumably other choices. I am just blown away by this because you can imagine it now. Yeah, me and my girl Darlene are flying from Memphis to Fatback, Arkansas, and Gustav Klimt is our favourite artiste. Ignore the accent, obviously, because that's shit, but what the actual fuck United Airlines elephant stamp for you? One of the reasons uh, this podcast is only appearing on Monday night as opposed to uh, on the weekend, which is when I originally thought it would, is that much of the Blue Mountains has been, well, I won't say enveloped in smoke, but affected by smoke because uh, it's a particularly dry year. Uh, we're kind of meant to be getting into winter, but it's it's still quite warm and dry. So the various firefighting authorities and the National Parks and Wildlife Service have been conducting what are called hazard reduction burns to, in a controlled way, burn out some of the underbrush and so on, so that should there be a bushfire in the summer, uh, it'll be easier to control. And one of the things that has been shitting me Beyond belief is that so many people in the city, down in Sydney, in the Sydney Basin, all right, they're whinging about the smoke and saying, oh, there's almost no visibility. And I go, no, this is not the London fogs of 1952, you 
dipshits. It's it's a bit of smoke and all right, it's irritating and so on, but it's not unprecedented. It's not minimal visibility or anything like that. More importantly, it's not what you've been calling them backburning. Backburning and hazard reduction burns are very different things. They're both controlled fires, but hazard reduction burns are done in our own time, in our own pace, at our own pace. If I'm going to be pedantic, I might as well be fully pedantic. Whereas backburning is something you do when there is a bushfire and you start off where the bushfire might be heading and in a controlled way burn back towards it, uh, either to uh, reduce the possibility of there being a flare-up of the fire as it moves forward or to uh, kind of even out bits of the fire front so that it's easier to fight. So just get the words right, people. Uh, What else has been uh, in the news? Oklahoma lawmakers have declared a, well, at least introduced a bill at least to declare a state of emergency. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's all about this big problem in the United States where uh, transsexual people uh, are, are causing a big problem apparently for some people by confusing them over who might be in the bathroom with them. Apparently where people piss is a major issue. So this bill before the uh, Oklahoma uh, state legislature uh, says that uh, uh, where members of the female sex are allowed to use restrooms, changing rooms or showers designated for the exclusive look of the male sex, uh, that that there can be a religious accommodation. I've got all, uh, you know what I mean. I've got it all wrong. But basically, obviously, they... they don't want any confusion over the gender of people in each bathroom as if this is somehow important. But then the tagline of the bill says, quote, it's being immediately necessary for the preservation of the public peace, health and safety. An emergency is hereby declared to exist by reason whereof this actual take effect and be in full force from or after its passion and approval. That is, they want to declare a state of emergency over where people piss. Good on you, Oklahoma. That was almost elephant stamp material, wasn't it? Um, the uh, downing of that Egypt Air passenger jet over the Mediterranean, uh, that's uh, obviously still a cause of uh, investigation, of cause for investigation, cause of... Um, it's still under investigation, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I want to give uh, a bonus points, possibly an elephant stamp as well. I should have done that in the previous segment. Uh, to uh, to uh, which oh, news this? Yahoo News, it looks like. Uh, because, yes, they managed to find an Australian. Oh, this is the West Australian newspaper. Yes. Egypt Air passenger Richard Osman worked at the Big Bell gold mine near Kew, which is a place in Western Australia. I thought, wow, they've managed to find a, a local angle. Give them a little pat on the head for that. But if you actually read the story, it began with the usual kind of heartwarming thing. An Australian-British dual national aboard the missing Egypt Air jetliner was a kind and loving father who had just welcomed a new baby. 
McCain. Standard opening par. Second paragraph, Richard Osman worked as a geologist in the Australian gold mines before returning to Europe a number of years ago. What was the number, West Australian? What was this number of years ago? I mean, how lo- oh, but you've got an Australian angle in and you've got your little pat on the head for that. Microsoft is funding research to detect terrorist content, according to a story at Ars Technica. Uh, Microsoft has updated its policies uh, for use of its various cloud services and is now, uh, uh, apart from uh, already uh, banning content that's uh, hate speech or that advocates violence against others, uh, terrorist content is uh, now on the list. Now, A good part of this is that Microsoft will be using the Consolidated United Nations Security Council sanctions list to decide whether uh, an organisation is a terrorist organisation or not, or either an internationally uh, agreed upon list. But the bits I have trouble with is is that they're going to stop content posted by individuals and groups, okay, but content posted in support of people on that list. So does that mean if I say, hey, these guys have got a point political, uh, a point, a political point about uh, the occupation of their lands, is that in support of them? And the other one I find interesting is that Microsoft is working researchers, as I say, to detect automatically Terrorist, this is the words, terrorist pictures, videos and audio. What is a terrorist picture? <sighs> like, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm oh God, I, I'm, I'm literally speechless. In the United States, a, a man shot himself in the foot while adjusting his sock. Uh, This was a a story from about a week ago. Two people were wounded at a high school graduation ceremony in Kansas. Obviously, these are are ceremonies where firearms are needed to preserve the public safety. Uh, I I don't know whether Kansas has transsexual people in the toilets. I I don't know what the reason is for having a a gun. Uh, But this man shot himself in the foot and wounded another person after he filled with a gun which he'd concealed in his sock. I love the second paragraph of this story. According to Tyler Brewer, who's the police chief in Augusta, Kansas, he said, the shooting was accidental. Uh, Yes, it was. And he described it as a knucklehead situation. I think we need that written into law. That it was a knucklehead situation. Uh, meanwhile, SBS ran the story uh, that a girl who was five years old shot herself while playing with a gun. And in my view, that's why firearms training really needs to start at age three. That girl would have uh, known that uh, she was in danger there and not shot herself. Uh, and the last thing I saw this week, which uh, which I did quite like, it was... It was a photograph circulated by one of those annoying spammy Twitter accounts that doesn't properly credit the photos. But it showed a photograph of Marilyn Monroe meeting with Queen Elizabeth of Great Britain, etc., in uh, London in 1956. And both Marilyn Monroe 
and Queen Elizabeth were 30 years old at the time. I thought that's that's amazing. Haven't haven't their lives taken very different courses? And in fact, only Elizabeth still does that skirt thing over the subway grate. You should see those pictures. And now it's time for Nicholas Fryer with a look through the arch window. I know that Still has decided not to waste his time in the edict during this time of trial talking about the federal election campaign, so I won't either. This won't actually be difficult because I don't really know anything about it. I mean, I understand that there is an election campaign going on at the moment, or at least that one was commenced... There was a picture of a car on the internet that I was told was evidence that the Prime Minister was visiting the Governor-General and that that was exciting because it meant that we were definitely going to the polls on the 2nd of July. A fact we'd all known since Christmas, so, you know, thing. But there was a car, definitely. Immediately after the car, everything went stupid. Okay, stupider. Someone had obviously found the button marked stupid and pressed it, and like little baby spiders, thousands of weird people-shaped objects started appearing and saying things like, a vote for the Greens is a vote for the Liberals, and we do what we say we'd do when we said we'd do it in the way we said, or something similar. And then Peter Dutton turned up and started gibbering on all over the place, like a head with its chook cut off. There was even Sophie Mirabella, Sophie Mirabella is still a thing. The people currently running this country took a look at one of their safest seats traditionally, which they only managed to lose last time because their candidate was an actual octopus made of phlegm. I mean, there are real verified pictures of her, all suckers and lurid green slime. They figured they were facing a likely swing against themselves, being in government, and the Brains Trust said, ''Yeah, go and get tentacle mucus, lady. It'll work this time for sure. And maybe a mop.'' Next, posters of ugly people started appearing. Say what you like about rampant consumerism, sexualised depictions of women, intrusive advertising, whatever. At least the people in the images that usually form the wallpaper of our lives have one thing in their favour. If you woke up next to any of them, you'd comb your fragmented memories of the night before with a modicum of interest. If you woke up next to any of the people on the posters round my way at the moment, you'd call an exterminator and a psychiatrist. The Liberal Party posters have the candidate photoshopped in behind a picture of the Prime Minister, presumably because head office is still under the illusion that males are net plus on the likability scale. But the effect isn't perhaps not always what the party might wish. My own seat in Adelaide South is named for pioneering doctor and educator Helen Mayo. It's Alexander Downer's old seat, semi-rural, comfortably liberal. On a thousand stoby poles next to a few hundred paddocks in my immediate vicinity, there are now prominent photographs of the former Minister for Heavy Breathing, Jamie Briggs, apparently oozing up behind the man who sacked him for sexual harassment, with a look in his eye that suggests he's about to give Daddy a right old pork barrelling. The slogan at the bottom of the poster reads simply, Liberal Mayo. Put me right off my chicken and leather sandwich, I can tell you. The Labour Party doesn't seem to have followed its opponent's lead and hasn't put pictures of the leader of the opposition on anything, or so I'm assured by people who reckon that they know what he looks like. The prevailing theory in my office is that the party activists kept seeing signs that said, Bill posters will be prosecuted, and they've run off to get legal advice. 
In any event, like all sensible Australians, after about three days of all of the above, I microwaved my router and I mailed my telephone to a randomly selected Indian village where it might do some good. However, I'm proceeding on the basis that the election is continuing because these things are very hard to stop once they're underway. I have occasionally fantasised about what it might take to rescue us from the horror, but probably only in events such as the wholesale destruction of Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra by a trio of giant lizards would derail a campaign once it's properly up and snorting, and even then we'd probably only end up with a government of national unity, a cure mathematically provable to be twice as bad as the disease. Still, the project's worth considering purely on its artistic merits, I reckon, so I'm putting together a team to give it another go. I say another, because we had a crack at it once before, and although the results were disappointing, I believe we've learned from the mistakes of the past. At least we now know that it isn't as simple as crossbreeding a Komodo dragon with a hippo and a pinch of Tassie devil, and then pumping it full of hormones and carbohydrates and contempt. We haven't yet settled on the new approach, but whatever we do... We're pretty sure that this time we can avoid making Clive Palmer. It's been a while since we've had a, an audio comment for this podcast from one of uh, you people, one of, one of you listeners. Uh, so I was very pleased that uh, one came in at the last possible moment before tonight's recording. Hi, Still. It's Dave Hall. I like it when you have audio comments. This is the best I can do for my comment because your answering machine, like this government, is completely fucked. I hope we can all do better next time. Oh, that's it. Uh, yes, thank you, Dave Hall. Uh, yes, the number that you call to leave an audio comment is fucked. I'll fix that tomorrow on the 24th. It'll be ready in a couple of days. Uh, there are other ways of sending an audio comment. They're listed on the podcast website. And indeed, I've got a few ideas in mind for how we can uh, get that uh, going and become more of a thing uh, once we get onto the new schedule from the 1st of July. Now, I haven't announced that new schedule yet, but there'll be a, a kind of more regular pattern happening then. That will be one of the transformations uh, that will happen to this podcast. And that brings me back uh, to the transformational theme for this episode. And there's three transformations that uh, I'm going to uh, end the podcast with, although they'll take a little time each. Uh, first up, Thomas Thwaites. This is his transformation. In his quest for a simpler life, one man has transformed himself into a goat. Thomas Thwaites, a 34-year-old researcher from London, has spent the past year creating prosthetics that allow him to roam around on all fours. He's studied their behavior, learned their way of communicating, and even attempted to create an artificial goat stomach to allow him to eat grass. Uh, yeah, look, if you go to the podcast website, you'll see links to an article with some rather alarming photographs of his research into how goat guts work. Princeton University Press has actually published a book about Thomas Twaite's experiences, which is why it's kind of in the news at the moment. Here's the audio from their little promotional video where he explains himself, kind of. 
maybe becoming an animal is about relinquishing control over your own fate in a way because I suppose we're all trying to control our lives and kind of fight this battle to kind of retain control over our lives but I think it's a battle you can't win what this project about becoming an animal is really getting at is this desire to experience the world from something else's perspective because we're all completely trapped inside our own brain and our own perception of the world and so what I'm trying to do is to try and kind of get outside of myself and try and experience the world from a completely different perspective. Thomas, some people just take fucking drugs, all right? It's, you got, what, £27,000 or something for this. That'll buy you a shitload of hallucinogens, let me tell you, young man. Oh, honestly, people people like that, why do they even bother? The second transformation, um, well, I've got to be honest, this, this next bit I'm going to present as a monologue, but uh, other people were involved. The following segment is based on a reality created by, in no particular order, at Techiglet at Newton Mark at Gordy PLS at point zero one at Voltage X at John O'Broad at Twiddlekins at Kate Chinotopoulos at Stafromos at Resignin Shame. Oh, well, that was a great success, wasn't it? Okay, uh, note to self, do not uh, attempt to use the speech synthesizer to read Twitter handles. The list is on the website. But how this conversation began uh, was a tweet from Katie Notopoulos who had uh, noted that there is a WikiHow article uh, entitled How to Regrow Foreskin. And... Uh, the first picture of this is really quite cute. It's got sort of a young man looking thoughtful with his fingers just to his lips, looking up to the right, going, thinking, making the decision. I mean, this is step one. Ask yourself why you want to regrow your foreskin. Uh, ladies, this whole next bit will not have a lot of personal relevance for you, but uh, uh, there may still be some amusement. And uh, this... A tweet led to some discussion on Twitter this afternoon about how you would actually go about this, uh, you know, how you would uh, regrow a foreskin. And, uh, look, we did have the first uh, transplant, I think it was in the US the other day, of a penis. So if you can transplant, like, a whole penis, you know, it seems stands to reason you could put a foreskin back on, though presumably not the same foreskin as the original one because that probably wouldn't be in a very good condition anymore. Uh, you know, so where would you transplant the skin from, from a foreskin? I mean, if you take a skin graft from the leg, I mean, wouldn't you end up with a hairy foreskin? I mean, assuming that transplanted leg skin still grows hair, which I assume it would because, I mean, why would it suddenly not? Uh, grow hair. 
and you know, a hairy foreskin does not sound like the kind of uh, aesthetic improvement that uh, a gentleman would be after here. So what do you do then? Would you have to grow skin especially for the replacement foreskin, something like that artificial meat that they make burgers out of? Uh, you know, uh, is that actual meat or is it tofu or something? Could you actually make a foreskin out of tofu? I mean, that would be the the logical choice, wouldn't it be? Because if you use like actual skin, it's going to have hair on it unless you kind of take the skin from like an even more delicate – oh, no, that's really uncomfortable. So your choices are either one, a tofu foreskin or two – regularly waxing your foreskin um, to keep it hairless. <sighs> tofu foreskin would taste horrible, wouldn't it? I mean, unless it was that kind of bean curdy skin part of tofu, like what Inaria made out of, if you know your sushi bar um, uh, items. <sighs> and again, would it taste? Look, I, I'm not a fan of tofu, but you could add chilli sauce maybe, soy. It could all come in different flavours. You could have a kind of luxa foreskin, a curry foreskin, kind of tomato-based foreskin. I mean, it would have to be kind of an Asian flavour just because you're using tofu, would it? <sighs> Turns out, apparently, that this is not how you do it. You don't actually graft on a foreskin that you have obtained uh, from from somewhere else. Uh, I, I, in fact, found a video that explained these things. Hello, everybody. What's up? I'm Tom. Hi, Tom. And this is a follow-up video to a video I made a few months ago called Why I'm Restoring My Foreskin. In that video, I thought I explained the technique that I'm using, but apparently I didn't explain it so well because ever since that video, I've been receiving a lot of um, like comments and messages asking me to go into more detail about it. So um, that's what I'm doing today. I should mention at this point that Tom's uh, kind of hot. For the visual aid, we are using this. It's part of a bike lock. What? Um, we're out of bananas, and of I refuse you to get banned from YouTube for showing my penis. So this is our penis today. <laughs> uh. Okay, so basically what I'm doing, I'm not taping anymore. And the reason why is because I had a few mishaps with the tape, and without going into too much detail, it got sticky. All right, <laughs> let's just say that. So I'm just sticking to the manual tugging, which I mentioned in that in that previous video. Now I'm going to forego the pleasure of uh, watching young Tom. Uh, do the manual tugging technique on a portion of a bicycle lock. I know that there are some of you who will uh, be disappointed to hear that. But uh, if you really want to know about this manual tugging technique, the WikiHow article explains this. Uh, That article also says that as step two, uh, you should find some privacy. You will also need to ensure that you'll have Plenty of uninterrupted time to yourself during the day when you can perform the manual tugging as it can be, quote, quite conspicuous. Well, I guess it would be. Uh, it, It mentions that you can also tug while watching TV, brackets alone, or while 
taking a bathroom break, brackets, if you use a stall. So you can look that up for yourself. Uh, I did a little bit of exploration oh, on your behalf, obviously, because I uh, I do this all for you. Uh, I found some other videos. Uh, one was uh, called um, DIY Foreskin Restoration on a Budget. Um, I, I suggest you not do the cut price a version of that. But then I found uh, quite a... Uh, a medical-seeming video uh, that started off with uh, really some quite uh, serious explanations of the situation here. This animation demonstrates the purpose of the natural penile foreskin and its normal functions. Now, the video goes through all of those normal functions uh, for several minutes, but eventually you discover that this video is really an advertisement for the Senslip Artificial Foreskin. I kid you not. It is possible to fool the body into thinking it has a foreskin. And when this happens, the skin at the head of the penis begins to thin and return to its natural state. This is achieved by wearing synthetic foreskin. The senslip undergarment shields the head of the penis comfortably. And the body rapidly begins to reverse the loss of sensitivity caused by circumcision. Your body's own natural processes will make the skin softer, less wrinkled. The outer layer of skin on the head of the penis will become thinner and more sensitive to feel and touch, giving you a depth of sensations never experienced before. The senslip can be retracted or rolled back just like a real foreskin to expose the tip of the penis for natural urination. The question that raises, of course, is what is unnatural urination? I'll leave you to think about that in your own time. Uh, The third and final transformation that I'll bring to you in this podcast is musical. Uh, I stumbled across or was introduced by a Jimlinder slash Benno Rice to the work of Pluffnub. That's with two Fs, obviously. And uh, he or she, I suspect he... But he or she has been taking uh, well-known pop songs and rock songs and tuning the vocals out of tune by a semitone. It's really quite disturbing, especially if you're hungry like a wolf. Close to hide I'll be upon you by the moonlight 
edict for now and that's all the Duran Duran for now. I think you're thankful for that. Pluffnub is the YouTube channel to go for that stuff with two F's. There's links to other things I mentioned on the podcast webpage. There's how to leave a comment there. All of that stuff. Blah blah blah. As I said, the next episode of the 9pm edict will be a public house forum to be recorded on Saturday the 4th of June. Watch out for an announcement. I'm Stulgarian. I'll see you then. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.